0: You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan.
1: Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Manning,
0: Beckham, what a throw! What a catch! Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. What's up, Mike?
1: We're doing a podcast for the Chiefs, or the Falcons, if you're saying the best damn football team. I, well, I, I, well, I must say, I must have I must have tuned into the wrong show, uh grump. <laughs> yeah, historically speaking, the
0: the only team I'd like to root for. Uh
1: there at this moment, I am on the fence with that one. Oh, so.
0: come on. Be a true fan.
1: I'm a true fan because we we'll, us two schmucks are flying down to Tampa next weekend. We'll be there uh we'll actually we'll probably do a, a pod right after the game, you know, probably back from uh from Tampa. But um this is not a very lovable uh group of guys right now that we're following, that's for sure. Yeah, this is this
0: is the little giants right here. Ugh. <laughs> um So we're we're going to recap uh a fucking third consecutive loss. Um and and nothing pains me more than losing to Philadelphia. The only thing that could pain me more than this would be a playoff game at home losing to Philadelphia, which we've done in 2008. Shall we
1: begin? Yeah, let's jump right into it. Where, where,
0: where, where, where do we start? Oh, let's we'll start with the score. The Eagles edged out a win with one second left on the clock uh, with a 61-yard field goal um, to break the tie, and they won 27-24. to Let's just back up to our predictions. Um, before we get into full rant mode, there were some good things from this. Not many, but let's get them out of the way. What was your prediction
1: for this game, Mike? I know we, we get blown out. Yeah, that's pretty much my prediction.
0: <laughs> I thought that if we were going to win, it would be a low scoring close one. And if we lost, it would be a blowout. We were both pretty wrong. Yeah. With the outcomes. Um, the Giants offense managed to score over 20 points for the first time
1: in nine games. That's correct. Yeah, it was eight games. Yeah. And it was <clears throat> and it wasn't looking that way heading into the fourth quarter. We were looking at getting shut out. So it was quite a remarkable fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, um, there were stars in this game. It wasn't a complete game, and I maintain that this team is only a couple pieces away from being a serious, serious contender. Those couple pieces, however, are so key to this team that it's the difference between having no wins yet and being 3-0. and You know, Bobby Hart did not play this week. I didn't really expect him to, so that caused a shuffle in the offensive line, which I don't know that it was necessarily the worst thing, but it certainly wasn't great, especially against um, this defensive front the Jim Schwartz front with a lot of really really good players um but i,
1: I th- yeah i thought the pass blocking i thought was actually much better than i thought it was going to be it was I mean, better
0: they- than i thought bit, than it than i thought it would be but it really wasn't something to rave about it wasn't star worthy nobody on that line
1: Well, we're taking quite a leap from being goddamn atrocious to star worthy. So I I think, uh, you know, if anything, I think the the offensive line stabilized a little bit in what the pass, you know, the pass blocking is. And again, I think a lot of the scheming we're doing is to work around a bad offensive line and minimize the potential damage that it could do, which does hamstring your overall offense.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things they did, and probably the most important thing they did, is they got the ball out of Eli's hand in under two seconds per play on average. That's ridiculously fast. Now, for people who were critical of being in the 11 offense all of last year, about 90% of the time, there's a reason for that. If you're getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand that quickly, that's kind of the offense you need to be in. I mean, it's just sort of how it goes. I mean, the only thing you can really do is go four wide. I mean, you can't go four or five wide on every single play but 11 is a stable enough formation to still maintain some threat of a run so i mean this is all you know this is what ben McAdoo had been doing since last year was scheming around a shit offensive line and it's shit it's terrible um i don't think there's a worse offensive line as a unit in the league there are individual pieces that are okay uh justin Pugh, i think is one of the better guards in the league Richburg is a good center and I think John Jerry has enough pack, pass blocking ability to not be among the worst guards in the league
1: well when he pulls the stupid shit like he did on Sunday yeah that, <laughs> that was that I mean, you know something I, I was gonna save this little rant for a little later but since you brought up John Jerry I'm gonna do it now that I'm getting very sick and tired of it's the complete lack of discipline on this team and the complete immaturity and babiness on this team I mean, would any of this bullshit be going on still with Tom Coughlin? We've had four offensive touchdowns this this year so far, and three of them have had celebration penalties. Two? Okay, so that's a 50% return. Yeah. And of those, I don't think we were in the lead in any of those.
0: Just, no, not for either
1: celebration penalty. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, it's just, you know, the foolishness. And the Jerry thing, that's just immature baby shit that it's just, you know— for a guy has been in the league for a while, it's unacceptable, and it's just a lot of garbage on this team, and just you know, I- embarrassing. And it, I don't know; it just seems like this team just seems so undisciplined, and so they'll do whatever they want, you know. And and we were talking a couple weeks ago how McAdoo criticized Eli on a couple of plays, you know, and then you get you get Beckham, you know, taking a leak on the in the end zone, you know, simulating it, and it's just kind of like, eh, well, whatever, you know. I, I don't know. I mean. I get that things happen in-house more than you may know and, you know, handled in the media. But you have to give the fans and the media some sort of sense that you are under control with everything. And, you know, perception is important. And right now the perception of this team just looks very uncoached, both in, you know, how they're playing on the field and just the, the extracurricular bullshit that they're doing.
0: Do you think that has to do with Ben McAdoo maintaining his play calling? Or just his ability as a coach.
1: Well, right now I'm questioning everything about Ben McAdoo. I, I, I think the, I think the play calling, I think, is a very difficult task for anybody. I mean, how many coaches in the league actually do that?
0: Is in what's the NFL his face? at least? Is what's his face from uh, Green Bay the only one?
1: He might be the only one, and I get it, that's the pedigree where he came from, but um, I, I just think you know the NFL is so complex now that you are basically being a CEO and all of a sudden for the CEO to also be playing the part of a shift manager, you know, it, it's no good. And he doesn't have the, he doesn't, I don't think he has the complete respect of everyone in the game around him that he necessitates that he can do this and get away with it. So I, I don't know. I, this team just seems like a mess right now. It does not seem very coached and very professional and, it, you know, I'm not ready to say we need to fire him right now. I mean, the guy did win 11 games last year, but something needs to change. And whether it's that progression of removing play calling from him, to you know, a shuffle of his staff, to whatever, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen before this. And I'm sure we'll talk about Jerry Reese before the show's over too. But very, this team looks like a team that looks worse than an 0-3 record right now.
0: I can't disagree with anything you said. Um, they've relaxed the rule so much that it's actually difficult to get this penalty, and he's managed to have two players get a penalty on it and and, and like you said, out of four touchdowns, it's fifty percent that's pathetic um and i'm gonna I'm gonna bust him on his play calling. I think going for it on fourth down at the end of the first quarter or the first half rather. May not have been the worst call just because it finally seemed like they had picked up momentum and it looked a little bit like Philadelphia was disorganized and reeling. So I'm not totally against that, but I do still think if it's me, I'm taking points over a touchdown. But in the beginning of the second half, almost felt like it was he needed it more than the game needed it. Does that make sense? Like, he needed the validation that he was going to be able to score a touchdown. And they came in with nothing. And of course, in those scenarios, only kicking the field goal on one of those results in no win, in a a chance for a win here.
1: You just said something right there that he needed it. And that goes to where a lot of people watching on TV and in the stands are always like, if I can see that with my eyes, why can't they see that, you know, X is a bad running back or that play doesn't work or everything? These coaches have tremendous egos. They have a system, and it's going to be their system. Damn it! By hell or high water, you know, McAdoo still plays the call, calls calls the plays because, damn it, I can do it. So you really nail it right in the head about you need to prove it for him more than you need to prove it for the game. That's this example of ego, and for a guy that you know, okay, had an eleven and five record this, last year still hasn't accomplished jack shit in this league it's a little annoying to me to say the least and
0: the reason i can't give him a total fart for this game i did anyway because i'm a little bit sick of it and i think a lot of fans are and i think he should know better but the reason why is because he called the right plays on those i don't think it's the right decision to go for it but when he did he did call the right plays so i actually broke this one down um, this is something I do like to do in my free time because I'm a loser, but I put the <laughs> coach's film on and watches those watched those final plays. So uh, on, it was third and goal at the very end of the first half, and the result of the play was Sterling Shepard dropped a touchdown. Um, to quell this right now because I saw a couple articles about it about how we might have been robbed to catch there – I don't understand why people say, what's a catch anymore? I think it's pretty clear. I knew it as soon as I saw it, it wasn't a catch. We've seen enough examples of the way this rule is, is implemented. If you are going to the ground when making a catch, you must maintain until you get up. It's not that difficult to understand. So I've seen multiple articles about how, how could it not be a catch? It was clearly not a catch. That's the rule. We know this. And Sterling Shepard said the same himself. He knew what he was supposed to do and he couldn't do it. You know... That annoys the shit out of me anyway. No one's getting paid off. The refs are not getting paid off. It wasn't a bad call. They reviewed it. It was the correct call.
1: Anyway. Listen, let me say one thing real fast about the refs being paid off. There's nothing this league wants more than a major market popular team like the Giants to be successful. The last thing they want is having to flex out a giant game from a Sunday night in November, December because they're three and eight. So any talk of the refs are, are playing around against the Giants is horseshit. Back to your rant.
0: It's also just pathetic. Not true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as I was saying, though, Sterling Shepard needs to hang on to the ball, right? I mean, that alone shows that it was the right play call because he should have made the catch. A little bit difficult, probably, but whatever. I also watched that on the right side of the line, the Eagles secondary missed it. Rhett Ellison went from the line in a three-point stance and just did a, a, a post route and was completely uncovered. They missed him. So this is a result of when you go for it in these you know risky fourth down calls and you are scheming to your offensive line – which is get rid of the ball as soon as possible so that you don't get your quarterback killed and you negate a very good pass rush, it takes away Eli's ability to go through his progressions and his reads. You have all of these weapons and he can only really look at half of the field at a time for most of it. So in this instance, he went to his primary read pre-snap, which was Sterling Shepard. And based on the matchup, when you look at it pre-snap, that's probably the correct call. If Eli had one beat to just glance to his right he would have seen that they missed the coverage and instead brought pressure and and so when you go for it in these situations you have to know that this is you know you are inhibiting your own offense as a sacrifice you are you know lessening your chance of making it on fourth down so that being said though it was the correct call because Sterling Shepard should have caught it. And even if he didn't, if Eli had one extra second to look to his right, they blew the coverage. It was there. Um, and then moving forward to the second half, on um, the Giants were either in the red zone or just outside of it. They had just maintained a good drive, and I super disagreed with going for it this time because at this point it's 14 nothing. You have put nothing on the board. Just kick the field goal and get the points. Instead, we went for it. Um, Both times were targets to Shepard where he dropped it. On third and two, uh, Odell Beckham was running free in the end zone. He had completely outmaneuvered his guy and was running towards the pylon. Um, Again, Eli didn't have time to go through his progressions. And on fourth and two, John Jerry completely missed his block, fell over. And not to just single him out, Justin Pugh fell over right after that. So... Eli got slammed, and he just kind of got rid of it quickly and tried to get it to Shepard again where he was well covered. But Evan Ingram was wide open in the end zone. Again, these chances, this, this team is still the offensive line, and you can blame Eli a little bit, but it's all going to be pre-snap reads for him at this point. Um, and Ben McAdoo has to know that when you are getting rid of the ball from, you know, from the quarterback position in under two seconds, you are not able to go through all the progressions and all the reads for all of your weapons on offense so i'm pissed off i thought those were on a coaching level the right play calls but the wrong call for the game the wrong decision um and like i said he should have kicked the field goal on both of them because that's what i would have done but if he had just chosen to do that on one of them this would at least be a tie and best case scenario or i'm sorry worst case scenario
1: yeah well (laughs) I don't know. I mean, now you have a, you have an offensive line where you're play calling around and you're right. In this league, you know, defenses are too intricate, they're too fast, that if you're taking away half the field or, you know, taking away that extra tick of a of a clock, they're gonna catch up very quickly. And they're gonna understand that trend too. I mean, it might be something you're trying to do at the very beginning of a season, but there's enough tape out there that they're gonna catch it. If like, you know, Grump out there and sitting in his cave on a Monday is watching it, don't think the uh the advanced scouts and the coaching staffs of every team are catching this as well. So,
0: of course, and and the natural thing to do is once you see that the game plan to negate your pass rush is to get rid of the ball in under two seconds, what do you tell your defensive linemen? Hands up. What happens? Yeah. Deflection, interception. What happened on Sunday? You know, at a certain point, you just need talented guys. You can't scheme around everything.
1: How mm-hmm. How'd you think uh, Eric Flowers did on Sunday? He
0: wasn't in any way more particularly bad than the rest of the offensive line. But as a whole, the whole offensive line played poorly, as usual. Um, that being said, Eli was not sacked at all, I don't believe.
1: He was bar- – no, he wasn't. I know they, they showed a stat late third quarter. I think he had dropped back 19 times. and I think he was hurried twice, wasn't hit once, and wasn't sacked once. It was a pretty amazing uh, graphic when you saw it You because know, all – thing we were afraid about all week is how he's going to be buried six feet under. Yeah, I,
0: I had a legitimate fear that we were going to have to see Geno Smith come out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's all scheme, though. Uh, if, if you watch it, they weren't able to run block for shit. And I know, I know this has been a point of emphasis for you is that we don't have electric runners who can make things happen. But I have to tell you something. If Saquon Barkley is back there next year, he's a guy who can make a man miss. He could probably make two men miss. He can't make a gang tackle miss in the backfield. Nobody can. Yeah. At at the end of the day, they can draft a running back every single year and hope that something happens, but they need somebody who's just gonna be able to push the pile, and they don't have a single person.
1: Yeah, I mean, they even said it during the telecast. You're like, they don't have that battering ram, 230 pound guy who could do that for fourth and one.
0: Sure, this this running back group is missing a, uh, you know, a Saquon Barkley, a Leonard Fournette, a Dalvin Cook, but you know that's not the answer to the puzzle. That's simply like the topping on the cake you know what I'm saying
1: yeah but I don't think this team even has a Ahmad Bradshaw Brandon Jacobs level running back on this team forget you know the guys you just mentioned they're elite of elite and I think you know the, yes the offensive line is a major problem and I don't think the the running back core we have right now is helping anything
0: well I think the point I'm making is that addressing the offensive line helps both the passing game and the running game addressing the running back only yeah I think I think that's a what the point I'm making is more of a priority thing. I think you can get by with the runners we have if we have an offensive line.
1: Oh, and also these running backs are doing a very bad job of pass blocking too and chipping.
0: They are not doing a very good job.
1: The so best that's of another which is
0: probably Vereen.
1: And to be very honest, right now that might be just as important for these running backs to be able to do that as it is to actually run the ball. So I guess the question right now is, you know, we're zero three. Where do we go from here? Well, because in effect. You know, the season is pretty much over.
0: Uh, statistically speaking, I don't care about that. You know, I, I, I said it last time. When you when you don't have any wins, you just you play it one game at a time. Uh, the team did show some fight. There was a, a serious surge from the offense at the end of the at the end of this game. That they were in the lead. They had the chance. And to be frank, the offense is early game struggles led to the defense being winded and the defense let them down. Yeah. Um,
1: but what, one thing I will say though, and you know, Odell Beckham, as much as he's a pain in the ass when he gets rolling, man, he is something else. You know, he definitely changes the game. I still don't think that, I don't think you completely change your defense for him, but the things he can do are just something that there's only two or three guys in this league can do, you know, that, and it's really, it's really fun to watch when he's actually doing his craft well. You know, all the extracurricular bullshit and you know, I don't know what he's doing on the sidelines, that, that craziness. But, you know, in crunch time, he he was the best player on the field by far.
0: I think he was the best player on the field. I think most weeks that he plays, he is the best player on the field. Uh, I, I think I would be remiss to just shit on him for an end zone celebration and not actually mention what he did. Um, the first touchdown in which he got the celebration penalty was pretty spectacular. I mean, the the body control to get both feet in on on that play was pretty ridiculous. And not only that, he was so wide open because of the the move he put in his route was ridiculous. It, it was crazy. But then, of course, he managed to outdo himself. And I honestly think, after rewatching this play a couple of times, this catch was more impressive than his his most famous catch. He managed to somehow bat the ball down from over his right shoulder and it sort of fell all the way to his knee and he brought his other his hand all the way down to corral it while falling and bring it up against his body. It was the it was the greatest catch I've ever seen. And I'm yep. I'm really not being like a, a homer jerk. I I I don't think I can think of a catch that's better than that.
1: I mean, if you're factoring in time and place and importance, to significance, uh, the yeah. one at the end of that, the one at the end of that Super Bowl with Pittsburgh, um, San Antonio Holmes. Yeah, I mean, the way you know he got his two feet barely, barely in diving to win a Super Bowl. That to me is the most amazing catch I think I've ever seen. That was physically. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, again, if, factoring in time and place and significance and importance, this one to me is more you know a a better catch than the uh the monday night game because again fourth quarter you know the time and place of the game having a guy draped all over him in the end zone you know in an opposing stadium you know it's it's right up there with his best ever
0: uh Mm. you know for for all the shitting on shepherd that i did for you know dropping some passes and not getting his feet in for the end zone whatever whatever you know he was pretty reliable for most of the day and of of course, he he actually ran the Beckham route on the the slant where he completely split the defense. Uh, granted, the safety took a terrible angle for the tackle, but I mean at the right time when you needed it most, he just took a seventy-seven yard slant. You know he and and for for what it's worth, Brandon Marshall also got into the game. He moved the chains, which is what you want your number three receiver to do. If if Eli had a little extra time, these really this really is the best lineup of wide receivers that this team has seen in a long long time.
1: Oh, sure, by far. As long as they're all healthy and they know their roles. I mean, again, Beckham is still 100% yet. He looks like 90, 95% right now, but, you know, he's still, you know, he might be still a little limited in practice. And, you know, if he's 95%, you'd like to have your best receiver practicing and being more and more on the same page with your quarterback and, you know, the rest of your offense. So that will improve as he gets more and more healthy. He gets more and more clearance to practice more.
0: And for the pessimists out there, all three of these receivers are under contract next year. Just, just if you're giving up on the season already, this good news that I'm telling you about: these guys are all on the team next year.
1: Well, that's the thing. Now let's get into the uh, you know the elephant in the room, the Jerry Reese, you know, conversation, and you know, what do you do about this team? You know, I happen to agree with you. I don't think this is a rebuild situation. You know, I'm not ready to say, you know cut Eli and start with Davis Webb and, you know, go, go through that. I, I, I think
0: you know, that would be a if mistake. the, op-
1: if the yeah, of course, that's what I'm saying. But there are clowns out there, you know, who are calling sports radio and, you know, and all over Twitter saying things like that. I, I think if this offensive line is addressed, I think a lot of problems will be solved and not just physically, but schematically as well.
0: I mean, I think, obviously, addressing the offensive line is a priority. Whether they choose to do it through free agency or the draft is, you know, circumstantial. So, Troy Aikman went through this during the broadcast, and it sort of annoyed me because I hate when anybody goes through only half the story. He went through our first-round pick, Evan Ingram, a tight end who, quote, can't block, which is what he said, and then defensive tackle in the second round which was a strength quote um of course he left out the fact that all three top rated tackles were already off the board he didn't offer a suggestion on who they should have drafted there was not one draft guru who had any tackle worth taking at the spot they took evan ingram at period uh you know these people who are saying that Eric Flowers should have never been drafted, okay, fine. Let's just imagine we didn't draft Eric Flowers. Do you remember what happened that year? That was Will Beatty. It was yeah, Will Beatty, right? With yeah. there was Peck in the spring. Mm-hmm. So then, who was going to be playing left tackle that year? Had we not drafted Flowers? Of course, that wasn't part of the plan. But like, for all these people saying, you know, that it was, you know, thank God we drafted
1: him. Who the hell else was going to play? Hey, yeah, good point. You might have had to get some. You don't want to go off the scrap heap to find your left tackle. Yeah.
0: And, and apparently that's what fans want to do now because they want to, you know, cut Eric Flowers right now. and
1: Not happening. It's, it's, it's not, not happening. happening. We are I'm sorry. Uh, for a, a guy that's still on a rookie contract, they are not cutting him. And they're not putting they're Chad
0: gonna, Wheeler in there either.
1: They're going to squeeze every bit of orange juice out of that orange until, you know, there's nothing left and they throw it away. And that throwing away will happen – most likely when it's time for his contract to be extended.
0: That being said, I think there's enough holes on this offensive line that they should take the best thing they can. If they can't find a left tackle because of their place in the draft order or because the free agent market or whatever, then they need to take a right guard. If they can't find a right guard, they need to take a right tackle. They need to figure something out because there's three holes and there's no way there, there's not one answer for three spots.
1: Yeah. There's got to be an answer. Especially it's the the depth is so limited that when you have an injury in the starting lineup, you're instead of going to next man up, you are shuffling the entire line. Exactly.
0: Your next man and up is already a that's, starter.
1: That's frightening. Yeah. <laughs> so now you got guys playing all over the place.
0: Free agency has to play out before you can think about the draft. I think you have to look at them both at the same time. But this isn't that time. You can't plan like it's that week, now. It's week
1: three. Yeah. It's week three. We don't know. Again – we're we're assuming that Jerry Reese will be the GM and that uh, Ben McAdoo will be the coach. We don't know any of these variables yet. So everybody, we're in that awful position where the season's probably over, but it's too early to start thinking about these things just yet. Yeah. You know, we have to see what plays out. You know, Maybe Eric Flowers, the light goes on from week seven to week 16. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, wow, he played a great second half maybe we'll ride with him going forward
0: you don't know and for those who are actually interested i know i've mentioned many times on the on the cast that i watch college football different than you do i don't have a stake in any team uh you know there's certain teams i do like and i like to see win but when i'm watching i'm really just watching the men that are among boys and when i say that i mean the draft prospects the guys who are really going to be in the nfl and make an impact so if you're, I, I'm, it's too early for me to talk about it on the cast. This is the Just Giants cast. That's all I'm talking about right now. Um, but if you're interested in in positions and players that I'm looking at for the for the team, which is the Giants, so um, you know, following my Twitter is a good way to do it because that's what I do on Saturdays. Following my Twitter is a good spot to to see what I'm thinking because I do I do think ahead, not in a pessimistic way. Just it's just what I like to do. Uh, you know, I'm a loser. So
1: well, it's a realistic view too. It's kind of like you know. It's something you could still be done even if we were, you know, seven and two. Just to look forward. But, you know, when you have sure. these glaring weaknesses, you know, and let's be honest, nobody should be booking any flights for playoff games this year. No. Your mind does tend to start wandering and, you know, what can we do to improve?
0: Yeah. There's one last thing I just want to touch on. Um, I think Eli Apple is a really good corner. I think that... Whether it was cornerbacks coach Tim Walton, I think is his name, or if it's Steve Spagnolo, but they've really done a good job of, you know, getting rid of the holding penalties with him. But God damn it, they have to figure out a way for him to just turn his head around. This is two weeks in a row now he's gotten nailed for a blatant, shitty, stupid, and irresponsible pass interference play 40 yards downfield. Where if he had turned around, he's probably got an interception. I mean these are Hail Marys where this dude has the speed and the length and the athleticism to cover ground that he's lost. And in both of these instances, he covered that ground and rather than turn around, he's just mauling the receiver. I mean how stupid – that has to be a point of emphasis with him from now on. Um, Yeah. And in both
1: instances they let in scores for the other team. Just because just guess, stupid. Yeah. Because guess what? He's gonna be targeted all the time. You know, they're not gonna throw Jenkins away and you know, now they know that there's a uh, you know, there's tape on him making this, they're gonna keep they going keep going after him every single time. So it's something has to be addressed. Sure. I was gonna give a fart to um Brad Wing. Yeah, he
0: owned up to it too.
1: Seems like More often than not, in a big spot, he comes up small on this team. And granted, I have a bias against him because I never liked him when he was at LSU. So I'm going to look at him more critically than normal. But it it just seems like over the years, he's been our punter. You know, when it's in a big spot, we need a big kick. There's a shank or something that's unacceptable. So that hurt.
0: Yeah, that that definitely led to – and he took – he, on his own, took full responsibility for the loss, which is – you know,
1: admirable, but not admirable, not. but
0: yeah. Um, but you're but right. I mean, he's he's a guy who will punt it inside the five, give his guys an opportunity to down it. You know, all game he'll be drilling fifty yard kicks, and when we need it most, a twenty eight yard shank. Ugh. Yeah.
1: So we got uh, got a little road trip to Tampa next weekend.
0: We have a trip to Tampa plans. Um, we'll be down Friday, so. By the time you're hearing our game preview podcast Friday morning, we will already be in flight.
1: I'll be, I'll be by the pool. I'm waiting for your sorry ass. <laughs> oh right, you're leaving Thursday.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Um. So we'll be we'll be scoping out in person. Well, I will be live tweeting a Gators versus uh, Vanderbilt Commodores game. And there is an I have an eye on a particular Gator and a particular Commodore that the Giants could use our game preview podcast for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game available for you Friday morning, uh, while I'm in transit and Mike says he'll be at the pool, he'll be asleep. Um, sleep at the pool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, we'll go over our matchups and, uh, keys to the game and predictions as usual. Um, and like I said, for, for both the, uh, Florida Gators game if you're interested and the Giants Bucks game you can follow live tweets from me at at football underscore grump and for the game preview episode and then the following game review episode you can follow you can get the episode on Twitter at at just Giants
1: pod you can find me at the cranky van and you can download this fine production of just Giants podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud uh, we would love a five-star rating and a nice, snappy, punchy review of the outstanding work that we do. Whether you believe it or not.
0: Yeah, or, or the shit work. If you disagree, you know, let us know.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: We're not perfect, but we are
1: <laughs> as perfect as we're gonna get. How's that sound? That sounds about right, actually. Sounds like the Giants' offensive line motto.
0: Oh. All right. All right, everyone, stay strong. Go Giants.
1: Go Giants.